And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 205 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, Madison Bumgarner had a 205 slugging percentage in 2018. I bet you knew that. Uh, he was, that's like the year that, <laughs> that's the year that you knew that. Oh, uh, yes. Off the top of my head, in fact. I certainly didn't. What I actually looking this up, I found out that he was that's like the year he started uh, to be bad, like a bad, actively bad hitter. 2018, he was never good again. Did you know that he has zero career home runs with the Diamondbacks? I did not know that. But um, yeah, he did kind of get a little uh, swing happy. And uh, I think that kind of the league figured him out which is don't let him hit home runs against you and he'll be fine. So <laughs> I think he probably stopped getting as many fastballs, I would guess. I'd have to go look back at his StatCast uh, uh, numbers to see just uh, if that bared out. But I, I would expect that, uh, you know, nobody can take those silver sluggers away from him. No, and, and what I also found out is when I looked back and aggregated his stats from 2014 through 2017, he was pretty good. I mean, like, he wasn't good as far as he should have been a DH if DH were around back then. But he was like Pedro Feliz. He had a 706 OPS. He had 15 homers and 292 plate appearances. That's really good for a pitcher. And I think we knew that. But I hadn't internalized how good he was overall compared to all the other pitchers. You know, Bruce Bochy, one day in Oakland, gave up the designated hitter so Madison Bumgarner could hit. And that really didn't say as much about Bumgarner as it said about the rest of his bench, which I think probably Kelby Tomlinson was his most potent player um, that year. But yeah, it was the first time that a manager intentionally gave up the designated hitter, uh, which at that time was an AL-only affair. Weep, weep. Uh, That's the way it was. Um, Long ago, young kids. Yes, indeed, it was only an American League thing. Um, And it was the first time that anyone had intentionally given it up since Ken Brett in like 1975 or something ridiculous like that. So, um, you know, now we're in a whole new era where the DH is is everywhere. It's universal. uh, But we can always think back to that day that Bruce Bochy decided to say, my team is so awful, I'm going to have Madison Bumgarner hit. And he hit a double. And he hit a double in that game. So... Uh, good times, good memories. He could be the DH tonight because the Diamondbacks are in San Francisco. I believe that it is Madison Bumgarner's turn in the rotation. Should the Diamondbacks put him in as DH? I think so. Um, I mean, if if, if, we're, if we're here to entertain the folks and we're not here to you know win games necessarily as much as just provide a good entertainment value, 
then absolutely, yes, he should DH. But, of course, nobody thinks that way. <laughs> All right. Well, we are, I guess we're kind of here to talk about Madison Bumgarner, but we're not really here to talk about Madison Bumgarner and his slugging percentage. We're here to talk about the Giants, who came off a series sweep. They had a walk-off home run, a come-from-behind walk-off home run, which they had not had in years. Uh, it was a rousing weekend of winning baseball. I'm not sure if it's gung-ho, let's charge toward the postseason type of baseball. It was still flawed Giants baseball, but they won all three games, back to 500. Pretty good weekend. You know, they have 48 games left, and I figured out exactly what they have to do to make the playoffs in those last 48 games, and that is play the Pirates 48 more times. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's you don't want to like poo-poo the whole thing and go like, oh, well, it's just the Pirates. At the same time, I don't think they would have beat uh, the Padres if they had played like that. I don't think they would beat the Brewers if they played like that, and they certainly wouldn't have played or beat the Dodgers if they had played like that and made that many mistakes and had that much bullpen inconsistency. Uh, so it's good that they did it against the Pirates and they still won. At the same time, I'm not necessarily thinking, here it goes, here comes that run. They still have a lot more to prove. Yeah, you know, I go back to that San Diego series and the second game uh, that they obviously, you know, lost it late. If if Jerickson Profar lays out and he comes up up one inch short on that on that uh, sack fly that Evan Longoria hit, it clears the bases. It's three runs. You get Camilo Duvall instead of Tyler Rogers in the bottom half of the inning. The Giants almost certainly win that game. And then they got two leads uh, in the third game. If they hold on to them, they win that game. You're looking at the Giants sweeping that series, leaving San Diego three and a half games behind the Padres. The Padres holding on to an eight-game losing streak and then waking up to the news about Fernando Tetis Jr. testing positive and being out for the season. I mean, it, it could really be a different narrative. I think that Jerickson Profar uh, catch is going to end up being one of the biggest plays of the season, uh, looking back. Um, but it is kind of funny t- when you look back at a season and you see these little um, deflection points or, or little pinch points or, or, or whatever uh, that sort of herald in like a big chunk of schedule. And it, it doesn't mean that much in that one moment. But you go back to when the team was in Pittsburgh in in June. And they won the first two games, and they got to 10 games over 500. That was their high watermark of the season. And, um, you know, they lost uh, the, the third game. They weren't able to complete the sweep. Tyler Rogers gave up the home run to the guy whose name escapes me, who hit somehow three home runs that day. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you think, well, you know, you get greedy. You want to sweep them. Oh, well, they're playing great. And that ended up uh, going 17 and 30 over their next, uh, you know, chunk of games before they headed into the home series against Pittsburgh. And that really is where... The season went off the rails, and you know they've got about that same amount of number of games left. And if they were to go you know, thirty and eighteen the rest of the way, that would get them to eighty-seven wins. I'm not sure if that would get them past two teams, uh, whether it be the Brewers and Phillies, or Phillies and Padres, or Padres and Brewers, or Cardinals, or whoever doesn't win the Central. Um, I'm not sure eighty-seven will do it. It might need to be closer to eighty-nine or ninety. Um, and I think that they have everything that they need to be able to do it. they got 20 games left against the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Uh, they just have to play against them like they played against them last year. You think, okay, well, you know, this and that. But then you get to that bullpen, and that bullpen just seems like it's just it's just so difficult to imagine that they, they're going to be able to hold 30-plus leads with that bullpen. And that's uh, that may end up being the... 
the um, the big impediment to keep this team from doing what it needs to do. Yeah, you have the Giants in a position where two things have to happen. One, they have to go on a winning streak, a winning jag. Just they have to keep winning, winning, winning. And then they also have to hope the other team screws up. The other teams screw up. One team screws up and, and trips over themselves and slips on a banana peel. That's not where they were last year. Last year, they just had to keep winning. They could not count on another team to screw up, so they just had to do it themselves. That can't necessarily happen this year. And the bullpen is, like you said, that's a huge problem. And it's it's almost like an existential problem for this organization because when you go back to 2020, the bullpen was um, in the conservatory with the candlestick. That's what did the 2020 season in. The 2019 bullpen was definitely shaky. Last year's bullpen now feels like the anomaly. I thought... Last year was sort of proof um, that the Giants had figured out a way to cobble together different relievers and they had different looks and they had a, a vision and they had a plan and it all worked out and it was all gravy. This year seems like it's more, okay, maybe this is more of the default for the Giants. And that's a little bit scary to me. Yeah, and even even the you know the core four that we just celebrated as part of the 2012 team, uh, it was great to see all those guys together again. By the way, they're all in great shape. All of them look like they can still play. In <laughs> fact, Hector Sanchez is, uh, you're supposed to be in the best shape of your life as a spring training cliche. He's in the best shape of his life at his 10-year reunion. I mean, <laughs> d- dude, it looks great. So, um, And I guess he's still playing indie ball in, in Texas, he said. But, uh, but yeah, we just celebrated that core four, and you think that's that's the anomaly. You know, you, 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 the platonic ideal of a bullpen is not to put a group together that's going to basically be awesome for you know the better part of a decade. That just doesn't happen. You don't even try to try for that because it's just you know an impossible goal. Uh, and even even that group, you know, in 2016 uh, was the undoing of, of that team uh, in the postseason. Otherwise, they probably would have beaten the Cubs uh, and they'd still be waiting for a World Series at Wrigley Field. So, um, yeah, you're right. It's I think that, uh, you know, coming up with with a, a, a fun, a, a sort of functional bullpen again is going to be a big um, a big ask of this front office in the offseason because I, I don't think they necessarily have the components that are knocking on the door in the minor leagues either. That's yeah, that's what I was going to get to, because I wonder if it's we've spent so much time talking about uh, Elliot Ramos and his struggles in AAA and how that has affected the Giants plans this year. Uh, we've talked about how they have not gotten a lot out of their position players, but there is it, also something to be said about maybe they they thought that there would be. Uh, more Curtin uh, Castro would be uh, more of a factor this year. Uh, Gregory Santos, maybe they thought uh, that they would get R.J. Dabovich. Maybe they thought that they would get Randy Rodriguez at this point in the season, and that just hasn't happened. Is Was there a little bit of uh, a plan to get more minor league help this year, or am I overthinking that and that it was always going to be next year and down the road for the minor league help? I don't know. It's a good question. I, I think that they probably counted on this group uh, you know, being a little bit more solid throughout the year. I mean, Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers, Dom Leone, uh, Harleen Garcia. I mean, not a lot of these guys have options. So if they sort of did count on guys coming up from the minor leagues, I think you could say that if more of these guys, you know, were optionable pieces, uh, and they really weren't. So I think this bullpen was kind of created to be, you know, the the capital B bullpen. And, uh, you know, it, in, in some cases, a guy like John Brebbia leads the National League in appearances. Um, you know, the Giants have used 
a reliever on zero days of rest, I think, more than any other team in the National League. And, you know, the, you, you wrote, uh, get, got really underneath the hood and plumbed the depths of Tyler Rogers and found that, yeah, he's walking twice as many guys, but that's also because, you know, hitters may have figured a few things out and are taking a ton more pitches against him, uh, including the ones that they not can't necessarily do damage on. So um, the league has adjusted to him a little bit. Um, you know, you go down the line and, you know, whether it's uh, overuse or... or or fatigue, or or just uh, the league figuring some people out. It's it's really hard to be a great relief pitcher year in and year out. And if you are, you're probably one of the closers making a lot of millions of dollars. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the one positive is they've been sandbagging on Camilo Duvall and this power two seamer for a while. I guess he started working on it at the alternate site. Uh, you know, back when we were in pandemic land uh, or full full throttle pandemic land. And, and he started throwing this thing in the second half. And now he looks almost untouchable. I mean, wow. So that's that is one super positive development. It's funny because at the deadline, I was trying to figure out how the Giants could get a top prospect back in, in their trades. And if they trade Rodon, well, he's a rental. So maybe a team doesn't want to give up a top prospect. But what if they included Camilo Duvall? And I thought that I was uh, doing some galaxy brain stuff. And now he's looking like, boy, you don't, I know that relievers can be mercurial. And I know, especially young relievers, you know that Reyes Morant is here one year and then the next year he's not. At the same time, he looks pretty indispensable to the Giants and their plans for the next uh, year plus. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was doing the same thing. I was making up all my fake trades and I'm like, well, throw in Duvall. You know, he's a... Uh, you're supposed to replace relievers like that, but yeah, he's he's looking like a guy who could be uh, kind of a stud in that bullpen for a long time. Yeah, because I will say that with the Giants and they have um, uh, they have some. It's not like they've had the worst bullpen in the league. That far from it. They've had guys with ups and downs. But one thing that gets overlooked is when you think about Tyler Rogers and he doesn't strike people out and he doesn't miss bats. That's kind of the story for a lot of the pitchers in that Giants bullpen, especially for relievers compared to the rest of the league. John Brebbia is not missing a lot of bats. Arlen Garcia is not missing a lot of bats. Jose Alvarez never really missed a lot of bats. For whatever reason, Sam Long wasn't missing a lot of bats when he was pitching a chunk of innings. Um, Luis Gonzalez, definitely not missing a lot of bats. But I mean, just overall, (laughs) overall, this bullpen is not a swing and miss bullpen. And that can work when you have a Camilo Duvall coming in and being the swing and miss guy and you can plug him into a a tight spot and that's where you get your swings and misses. Okay, but that combined with the defense, it's not just Tyler Rogers. It's the whole bullpen is sort of relying on the defense to make plays behind him. And as we've talked about, that's just not the case this year. Yeah, I'll bet you that there are a lot of front offices that would probably go look to overcorrect this offseason and just mm-hmm. go defense, 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 defense. We got to fix that hole. And maybe they do it to the point where they have a blind spot to other things they need to prioritize. I give this front office a lot of credit. I think that they will probably do some things to shore up the defense, but they're not going to just, you know, put blinders on. And they realize that there's going to be other things they have to fix about this team. And one of them is having some more bullpen options, especially options that are optionable. And, you know, they're going to have to go out and find some of those players if they don't have them in their organization. And that is the thing. And I I do agree with you. I don't think this front office is going to have blinders on. And I think if you want some some uh, data on that. It's that they acquired J.D. Davis, who was not a defense first player, but they said, okay, 
he's younger. He can help us. He fills this role. It's it's almost like we're a, a neutral trade to get him in for Darren Ruff. Okay, let's just do that, and we'll figure out the defense later. I do agree with that, um, I, but I just don't know how you fix the bullpen in an offseason without spending money on relievers, which is always, almost always, a bad idea. And so I don't know. It's like they have to be even more clever than they've been in the past and it's just it's not a problem that you can just slap a couple band-aids on yeah no i i I agree and um you know it's sometimes you're just gonna have to have games where you out hit your mistakes too and uh you know i I think the giants looked fairly capable of doing that in the the first half uh when they had jock peterson hotter than the sun um that he hasn't hit a homer since uh i think the end of june basically so uh, and, and maybe Lamont Wade Jr. is the guy who gets hotter than the sun, who helps to carry their offense a little bit now. He's, he's certainly looking like he's more capable of that. And, you know, he just, just talking to him all year, he's been just kind of down. You know, he hasn't really uh, been super enthusiastic about his interactions with the media. And I even asked him, you know, I, I said, are, are you okay? Is everything all right? And he's like, yeah, I just, you know, been trying to be patient, wait, waiting for, for this to come back. And I know it will. It's just a matter of when. And, and I'm sure he's at the point where he was starting to think, you know, is my total season going to be a total waste? You know, and uh, and so he goes from late night Lamont to hopefully it's not too late Lamont this year. And and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not too late for the Giants either. I, I, I know that the playoff odds are like, you know, 4% at this point. And I'm not ever going to write, hey, it's likely. Or, hey, look, these are the reasons to believe. But... It is so striking to be in the ballpark and and watch an absolute calamity of a game that the Giants end up winning because the the, the Pirates can't catch a pop up and and then Tyro Estrada hits a homer. I mean, I, I'm walking to the clubhouse after the game and everyone stayed and they're cheering, they're, they're they're having a great time, and some some lady says to her husband, "Boy, wasn't that a great game?" And I'm sort of <laughs> snickering as I walk past him. I'm like. No, it wasn't. That was a terrible <laughs> game. But but for the fans' perspective, you know, a winning on a walk-off, yeah, it is. But then you go online and you're like, oh, I'm not even going to read this article. Their Giants are done. They're cooked. They should have sold, you know, whatever. It's so different to just read the fan experience online versus the experience in the stands. So I've decided I'm just going to pay attention to the experience in the stands. And yes, hope is irrational at this point, but all hope is irrational to some degree. So just have fun. Just have fun and enjoy it. And who knows? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Sunday, I took the entire family to a Giants game. I bought tickets. I went as a fan. I, of course, I wore an Andrew McCutcheon shirt uh, with no team on it. I'm not I'm not supposed to wear team garb, but I had an Andrew McCutcheon shirt, which I thought was uh, very uh, down the down the middle, down the middle. I have a River Cats hat. I think I'm allowed to wear a River Cats hat. Um, but I sat and uh, sort of watched the game as a fan, and it was just a tremendous 
experience as far as having fun watching baseball. And yes, it wasn't great when John Brebbia gave up the lead in, in like five seconds. Uh, that was not the best baseball. And then the Giants gave up the lead again, kicking the ball around or throwing the ball around, I should say. Um, not ideal, but in general, the baseball experience was fun again, and it felt like the crowd was engaged. It was a, a decent-sized crowd for a Pirates game, I would say, and that's what you want. You don't necessarily want to look at the standings and the wild cards and say six games, five games. You just want them to be a fun team to watch, and with fun comes wins, and fun is the first part, and the wins should follow after that, and that's all I would be looking for uh, for the Giants coming for the rest of the year. Please, please tell me that your McCutcheon shirt was an Uncle Larry shirt? <laughs> what was it? What an Uncle Larry shirt? Yeah, have you seen Uncle Larry? Do you know about Uncle Larry? No. Oh, you should Google Uncle Larry Andrew McCutcheon because he was on the injured list and he came out in character as Uncle Larry wearing the bandana under his Phillies hat. Un the shirt was unbuttoned like all the way to his belly button basically. Had a big gold chain and uh, and that's his, that's his alter ego. Uncle Larry was his alter oh ego. And, and the best part is Topps Took, made his baseball card out of a, an Uncle Larry photo. It's fantastic. His, the Uncle Larry alter ego. There's a bobblehead, I think, for Uncle Larry. Wow. Uh, yeah. Love the yeah. Uncle Larry swag. When, when the Brewers were in town, I was over on the other side, and I was uh, saying hi to a few people Trevor got, and McCutcheon came by and uh, and said hello. And I said, you know, it's crazy. You were here like four months, and it feels like you were here like four <laughs> years. Because <laughs> we all enjoyed getting to know him and and, uh, and getting to cover him, and, and he's just the coolest dude. So Andrew McCutcheon makes baseball better in every way. I remember it now. I guess I didn't know the Uncle Larry name off the top of my head. And I was going to be tough on myself, but now I see the date, June 30th, 2020. Yeah, I don't, my head was somewhere else at that point. But no, my shirt was a Kutch 22 shirt. So it's uh. the, font, the font of Catch-22, which is maybe my favorite novel of all time. Um, so it's a literary nerd shirt. It's an Andrew McCutcheon shirt. And yeah, baseball's better with Andrew McCutcheon. He's been... He kind of came into his own when I became a professional baseball writer. And from the moment he was in the league, he was one of my favorite players to cover. And he just never stopped. He's just fun. He is. And I like that he is built like some of the players uh, from baseball's recent past. Like he's not he's not six foot five and, and rippling with muscles. He's, he looks like a baseball player who could have been playing in the 60s, 70s, you know, and I just, I like his overall game. I like his uh, joie de vivre and uh, he's he's tremendous. And yeah, four months, he feels like he was here for four years. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I, I know that, and I admire your baseball card collection. It's a, a collection that has real purpose. It's a collection that is very focused and uh, you're not necessarily, you know, looking for the, the super... Uh, investable uh, ones, but the ones that just have, you know, a lot of meaning, whether it's uh, something that was very important within the game or somebody who wrote something nasty on the someone's bat or someone who has their fly down or, or what have you. <laughs> so I, I have to think that the Andrew McCutcheon top baseball card in Uncle Larry is destined to be in your card collection. It is now. Yeah. So what Andy's talking about is I have a baseball card collection that is very exclusive where I think of something that is cheap enough to buy on eBay for like a buck. Uh, but it says something like I just got a Ruben Gomez card from 1958. 1958 tops Ruben Gomez. Well, he was the uh, pitcher. He threw a shutout in the very first Giants game in San Francisco. Threw a shutout and drove in the first run in San Francisco Giants history. That card was a buck, so it goes in my uh, my little binder. And all of my cards have a story. I've got the 
the two guys who swapped wives on the Yankees. I've got, uh, uh, you know, some fun moments, some not fun moments. I've got Robin Ventura and Nolan Ryan from the year that they tussled. Um, but I think I'm going to get Uncle Larry. Yeah, I think I got to get this because that is... You know, we needed stuff like that in the pandemic. We needed an Uncle Larry. We did. We all did. And he's holding like the solo cup and, you know, just chilling out in the dugout. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was on the injured list then. But I mean, it, it, it reminded me of, uh, you know, the time that Tim Lincecum came out in the in the old school San Francisco Seals jersey and he goes out to exchange the lineup card and, and he's got like his paunch stuffed and, so you know, he's wearing, he's, he's like, I'm not sure if he was going for Bruce Bochy. I don't even know what he was going for, but, you know, it, <laughs> it was great. He cut up the whole dugout. It was fantastic. Fantastic. We need we need more of that stuff. The classic one that I remember uh, was Matt Williams and his Babe Ruth impression because Matt Williams is a is a taciturn fella. He's a, a no nonsense sort of player and coach and manager. Uh, but he would go out there in a rain delay and just pretend like he was Babe Ruth and do like the, the jittery motions and it's fun as heck. It's, it's always fun when it comes from someone you don't expect like that too. Yeah, I, I remember being a kid watching you know this week in baseball and they're like every fourth episode would have rick dempsey doing a, a tarp slide during the rain delay <laughs> we need more tarp sliding i feel like brett phillips is the guy to bring this back brett phillips i'm I, if you're listening i'm sure you're not but in case you are um bring back tarp sliding we need more tarp sliding i was kind of sort of when he was designated for assignment by the rays i was sort of playing roster rummy cube to see how he could fit onto the giants roster because they need or they could use i don't know if they need they they could use a defensive minded center fielder that can help get slater uh, to a corner and yastrzemski to a corner he was really bad this year with the bat and i just didn't know if they could uh, afford to give a 40-man spot away to him but he is so much fun and everyone likes this guy and he's just one of the more popular players who can ever be on a major league roster. It's just, I, I really wish that there had been a, a spot for him on the Giants just to have him for a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, just to see how he'd fit in the clubhouse. Yeah, he was out there. Jackie Bradley Jr. was out there. I mean, uh, mm. and Drelton Simmons was out there. Um, wow. You know, I'm not sure exactly where he's at physically, but I mean, yeah, there was a lot of defense out there. Uh, so if the Giants were of that mind, they could have, you know, created the whole airplane out of defense, I guess, uh, <laughs> out of DFA defense guys. But, you know, obviously that wasn't... Uh, that wasn't their objective. I have to say though, Mike Yastrzemski is is doesn't get enough due. I think for his defense, he's you know maybe being an everyday center fielder is asking for a little bit too much. But this guy's a really good defensive outfielder. I mean, just robbed a home run the other day in San Diego. Um, he just yeah, Mike Yastrzemski is is even though he's not having maybe his best season, I don't think there's any question that he's you know a guy you tender a contract to and he'll be back as an arbitration eligible guy next year. Um, yeah, Mike Yastrzemski, good defensive player. Mike Yastrzemski, if this is as good as he gets from now on, still worth on a team, still worth having on a team, probably still worth starting. You probably don't want to have him hitting third or fourth or fifth. But if this is the Mike Yastrzemski going forward for the next couple of years, you still want him on a team. He still has power potential, but he's a fantastic base runner. He's a KG base runner, but he is a fantastic, flexible fielder. And I agree. I think you maybe don't want him as your everyday center fielder just because that is because of the opportunity cost. If you have him there, you don't have a gold glove center fielder out there when you could have the chance to have a gold glove center fielder and a gold glove caliber right fielder if you get someone else to play center. But at the same time, there are so many things he does well, and it seems as if hitting for average is not one of those things he does well. 
but it's going to be a little bit too easy to uh, make too much of that because what he does well still helps the team win. And he's just a really smart player. I think he's the closest thing that this team has to Buster Posey, where it's somebody you know is always, always knows what's going on. I always assume when he's on second base that he has the signs. I just assume it, you know, because <laughs> he's just a really smart player. And um, and I think he's a winning player. Um, but, uh, and, you know, obviously he, he made a, a nice play in San Diego the other day, as I mentioned. I wrote about that uh, just to, as sort of an intro to Alex Cobb and the just awful, awful uh, luck he's had, the way the team has played just abysmally behind him. And it's sort of, um, I guess, uh, uh, hidden the fact that he's been one of the league's best pitchers and, and why this rotation is has been one of the league's best rotations. And you don't hear enough about it. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, I guess we got about five minutes left and, and we should probably touch on a little bit of the big picture with the Padres and everything that's been going, going on uh, uh, down down south. So what, what, what was your reaction to the Tatis news and where do you think what do you think this does for the division in, in the longer, longer term? I'm still stunned by that news because um, I, I guess I wasn't expecting it. No one was expecting it. The Padres certainly weren't expecting it. Um, it's not great for the Padres. And you could read between the lines with some of those quotes from A.J. Preller and and uh, and others where they, it's not as if they could stick to the playbook of, well, we're disappointed, but, you know, we'll be back and we'll get them back. It was a, a real deep fissure and a real just uh, almost like a hurt that they had when they figured this out, that there was a lack of trust. And, and the quotes that were coming out about that, man, this isn't something where you come back and bygones are bygones. They, It's almost like if Melky Cabrera had signed the extension and it was a big extension and it was an extension that was going to keep him into San Francisco for five years. What do you do in that situation? Do you just welcome Melky Cabrera back with open arms? The way it happened for the Giants was he kind of got to shuffle off and everyone forgot about him. That's not what's going to happen for Tatis. And I, I don't know what the answer is because he's even without steroids, I would assume he's still a really, really, really good player. But boy, this isn't something you come back from easy. Yeah, and this is where we have our large Marge moment because today is the anniversary. The anniversary, 10 years ago today, Melky Cabrera was popped for PEDs, uh, officially suspended, even though he tested positive uh, weeks and weeks and weeks earlier, even before the All-Star game when Bud Selig handed him the All-Star game MVP trophy, knowing that he was basically appealing a suspension at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, Melky Cabrera was leading the major leagues in hits and runs scored on the day he was suspended. That is the player the Giants lost for the remainder of that season in 2012, and they just got better. <laughs> he basically you know, ducked out the back door without saying anything to anyone, uh, and Buster Posey was like, well, you know, forget this guy. And uh, Bruce Bochy held a meeting where he said, okay, you know, this it's it's like he never existed, and we, uh, we're in this room, we're going to get it done. And they did. And uh, But yeah, you're right. He was, he was a, a guy that was not on a, a long-term contract. Um, he wasn't somebody that they were already building statues for. I mean, Tatis, he, it doesn't matter what he does now. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. He, he's, mm. he's, he's consigned himself to the A-Rod, Manny, you know, wing of non-Hall of Famers now, unless attitudes really change among voters. Um, so, you know, he, he kind of did it to himself. And, uh, um, you know, I, 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 I was talking to Tim Flannery at the uh, reception for the 2012 team, 
And, uh, you know, he likes to, to needle San Diego fans a little bit from time to time, <laughs> as you may have noticed. And I, I gave him a line. I said, I said, the Giants have rings. The Padres have ringworm. And he said, ooh, ooh, ooh I'm going to use that. So I said, okay, you can use it. You can use it. That's your, that's your line from now on. Yeah, ringworm, man. That is... Uh, look, I'm looking at his stats, and he, what a what a magical player he was. Um, I would assume that without uh, the gunk, that he's going to be a little bit less magical. But then he's still just 23 years old. He's still as old as a prospect uh, in a lot of ways. And maybe without this stuff, he can he can be something special still. But boy, oh boy, when you when you're charting a trajectory. And you see a 22-year-old hit 42 home runs, leading the league. Uh, he finishes third in the MVP. That that line on the graph just goes up and up and up and up. And you just can't do that anymore. I mean, it was already a little dicey because of different injuries. Um, but I, I don't know. You just can't do that anymore. And it's the injury. Wasn't it a motorcycle injury? Was, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. By the way, I ordered something off Milky's website. I still haven't gotten it. I'm hoping I'm hoping it'll arrive sometime soon. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was some sort of of, of motorcycle or, or whatever. Bicycle. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know, circus uh, unicycle. Anyway, um, I, I don't know if we can make any assumptions here. I mean, was it something that he really was taking accidentally? I mean, I, it's this is not a court of law. Uh, is it something that he might have been taking non-accidentally to just try to get back on the field and try to speed up healing? Is it something he's been taking all along and it's been aiding his performance? And we don't know, and I don't think it's really uh, super responsible to, to um, you know, say for certain it was any of those things uh, or, or a combination or whatever. But um, all I know is the guy's under contract for a long time. The Padres have a, a very, very well-earned reputation for making a lot of big moves, winning every offseason, winning the trade deadline, and not winning in October. So um, I, I just assume that until things change, they're going to keep going the way they, they're going. I think that they'll probably end up trading Tatis at some point. I think that a decent chance maybe they trade Juan Soto before he becomes a free agent. I mean, this is just the kind of uh, franchise that that builds up and tears down. That's what A.J. Preller does. And I think you talk to people around the game and they're like, what their their payroll out, outlay is is not sustainable for, for their revenues. It just isn't. Um, I mean, they have the same TV deal that the Pirates do, basically. So, uh, you know, it, it's I, I think that if you're looking at what is the most sustainable and, and you're envying the Padres for what they've been doing and you wish the Giants could be doing that, I, I think it's going to bear out in the end that, you know, that what the Padres are doing is not going to be super sustainable. And if you had a, a notion that it was, it's because they had a young super, super, superstar like Tatis. And and now, you know, that's looking a lot less bankable than it, than it did before. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's honestly, it's probably a good thing for the Giants in terms of, you know, the, the window of opportunity they may have within the division. It may be uh, it may be changing a little bit. Yeah, I just when they did made the one Soto trade, I was so I was happy for Padres fans because what they had done was they had built this they cultivated a vibe where you just when you watched a game there you saw that everyone was engaged and in the stands were full and and the the energy level was up and I, it's still going to be like that going forward but I think part of that vibe and part of that energy was we're coming and we're staying around for a while and no one's going to get rid of us. We are in this to win it for the next decade. Look at our collection of young stars. 
And when one of them is often injured and whoopsie doodle, he is uh, uh, now suspended for parts of next year too. That's got to kill the vibe a little bit. So I, now I'm back to feeling bad for Padres fans, which is a much more comfortable default, I think, for anyone. Yeah, and their rotation is not, you know, super inexpensive. I mean, even Joe Musgrove, they just extended. They're going to pay him a lot. Uh, so, you know, what happens when they have some guys break down and they have a need in the rotation? I mean, they're going to be in a payroll box. Uh, they really will be. And so, you know, I, I, and they've just given away a lot of their, their farm to get Soto for for two years. So I, I have a feeling that they're probably going to end up trading Soto again and use him to kind of replenish their farm again. I, I just, I don't see another way out for them. Uh, and they, they basically have to win now and to, to justify it. And so I guess they'd better go do that. I'm going to go on the other end of that prediction. I think they're going to win the World Series this year. I think they got the milky, the milky vibes where they're just going to say, screw this guy. We're going to do it without him. And then they're going to do it. That's what I say. Wow. Well, hey, you know what? We know a team that's done that. We know yeah. a team that's done that. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 205 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, we will be back on Friday morning because Thursday is a day game. We do not want to counter program. So we're going to come back on Friday and we'll talk about what the Giants did against the Diamondbacks. We will see you then. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.